Welcome back to This Naked Voice. I'm Joey Cardella. This next episode is going to go back to Zen and the Art of Making a Living. Isn't that a cool title for a book? I never actually talked about how much I love that title. The author is Lawrence G. Bolt. And I'm going back to this book again because there's a lot in this book that is just magnificent. The whole reason I started in with this book, Zen and the Art of Making a Living, is because I'm on board with the new image of work and life that it's proposing. And I'm also on board with what it asks of each of us who subscribe to it, how we can change the way we think and feel and act in the world. So look, in this model, we refer to life's work not as machine work that's obsessed with control and breaking down the whole into parts, which is essentially seeking to understand and make sense of everything through the process of rationality which, if you remember from the few episodes ago, rationality, ratio-nality, it's when we divide life into ratios or parts to understand it better. But in the process of constant fragmentation, of breaking it down, we then miss the experience of the whole. This negates the very mystery of life. So, no, life's work is not machine work. It's a celebration of the mystery of life. It's where we live our lives, not as prisoners of a machine in a constant struggle to make ends meet, to afford our tiny kingdoms, which we don't actually have any time to enjoy, but rather we live our lives more in rhythm and harmony with the natural order of life, with nature and with one another. And this is not some magical, mystical aspiration for a global kumbaya moment. No, 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 no. What I want to communicate is that life and work, they're not necessarily separate things. Work is more, and it can be more, than trading time for money, gaining resources and privileges. Work can be so much more than that. It can be a vibrant, joyous living experience. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy the whole time, but it does get to be worth the effort. That was awesome. (laughs) I bring up Joseph Campbell quite a lot in this podcast, and with good reason. His writings and talks are full of poignant reflections on what it means to be human. And he has a quote on this topic where he says, quote, I think the person who takes a job in order to live, that is to say, just for the money, has turned themselves into a slave." In this book, Zen and the Art of Making a Living, Lawrence G. Bolt, the author, proposes that the highest order of duty to self is to follow your bliss. The highest order of duty to society is to make your fullest contribution to its well-being. And I would add, that's within the scope of your unique gifts and abilities. And these duties, both to self and society, they meet in life's work. And you may not see the overlap in this moment between your duty to self, which is following your bliss, and, and how you can contribute to society. And in fact, they may actually seem to be in conflict if following your bliss is, I don't know, being a musician, but you see that what the world really needs is, uh, I don't know, maybe more people need food or they need housing or whatever. So that 
may seem to be in conflict. How do they line up? But over the span of a lifetime, they actually will become interwoven and even indistinguishable. That is, if you put your energies into the former, into following your bliss. You have to allow yourself to do that to see how your life will unfold. But what does it mean to follow your bliss? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that everyone gets to be an artist. And I don't believe that being an artist is only for people like Beyonce. You are Beyonce. Thank and you. Banksy, Beck, and Bjork. Thank you very much. I think people whose names start with all sorts of letters can be artists as well. And they don't even need to be painters or musicians. I believe that every person is, at least in potential, an artist. I am genuinely always surprised by how much art is created in this world, most of which is never seen. And I remember having this revelation a few years ago when I was part of this monthly open mic group in Portland. We called it the Portland Salon. There was this ragtag group of people that occasionally gathered, maybe once a month. And maybe there was a core group of about six or eight of us who would get together consistently, but there were also a lot of strangers or new people who would show up and share poetry, songs, and stories. But then they might never be heard from again in that group. And the stories were wonderful. The poetry was beautiful. And the songs, well, in my opinion, they were hit or miss. Some were great, some were not so great. But I included one here from my friend Bethany that I really loved. She had a habit of bringing really beautiful songs. judgment of these songs or poems or whatever was never the point. It was that these strangers, these people, these friends had the courage to share something that came from deep inside them. That they had the vulnerability to get in front of other people and dare to be witnessed in their sharing. And I loved and appreciated them for it. It takes such courage to do that. And that goes for anyone, anywhere, willing to share something that has come from their heart. I remember one time listening to this one young woman share her poetry, and she was very timid, very shy. And it took so much courage to, to share this in front of a group. And it just made me think of all the journal entries, all the poems, all the songs and the, and the, the sketches that exist in private diaries and journals all across the world. How many of those will never see the light of day? How many poems will never be uttered aloud for fear of someone else's response? Or what about how many will simply never be shown just because there are so many and there's no time for all of them to be shared or witnessed? I think about this a lot as I walk amongst strangers wherever I am. Who here is a secret poet? Who here is a master musician in their own time? Who here has had their heart broken and writes songs that no one hears? 
Which of these people has sketchbooks full of magnificent creatures and future cities that live in their imagination and on these pages, and yet they felt it not important enough to share with anyone because they're so caught up in their day-to-day life, going to work, being with family, who, who knows what they're doing. But yet there's more than this too, in terms of being an artist. Have you ever heard someone singing a song to themselves, unaware that anyone was listening, and been amazed at what you were hearing? Because I have. Someone singing in a stairwell or in a shower. In those moments, I'm witnessing art not only created from a space of pure love and expression, but I'm witnessing the artist in their full expression. For me, the art is not the song or the painting. And the art is not the craft of singing or, or the illustration. The art is within the artist and it's emanating from the artist. What? And okay, that might be getting a little high level, but I'm curious if you can glom onto that. And let's get beyond the art or the music. What might it mean to be an artist of life outside of the creative arts? Let's remove art from those crafts and recognize it where it really lives. That art lives in our consciousness. Whatever one is trying to create in this life, there's essentially two parts. There's the vision and the execution. And both are absolutely essential to make an impact. Yet, what seems to make the biggest difference is the depth of the vision the artist has in the first place. How big do they dare dream? How bold do they dare be? Because we as an audience, we respond to these very things. It's why, like for those lucky enough, people freaked out decades ago when The Lion King came out on Broadway. Mufasa! Do it again. Mufasa! (laughs) No one had seen anything like that before. It's why people loved David Bowie for crossing all sorts of lines and not fitting any sort of genre or box very neatly and why people still celebrate Picasso and Salvador Dali, but also people like Steve Jobs. The depth of their vision is what we respond to. So what might make an artist? According to Mr. Bolt, the author of this book, the first work of the artist is the artist themselves. The artist must be a developed individual. They cannot be a mere product of society. Because the role of the artist is to release the powers of nature, of soul and spirit into the lives of man, to release that inspiration into the audience. Nature provides the medium and the energy of the work, whether it's the dancer's body or the colors that the painter uses. It might be the stone or the clay that the sculptor uses to sculpt paper, ink, or 
materials that make the computer chip that so many people use to create their art with these days. But then the artist trains themselves. The musician trains their ear. The painter trains their eye. The dancer trains their body. The soul provides the symbols and the archetypal energies that we all recognize universally as an audience. And the spirit arrests the mind, projecting the experiencer out of themselves into the realm of the infinite, the transcendent mystery. This is what Mr. Bolt proposes. Before they can make art, the artist must encounter and experience these deep energies in their life. And I think this is true because how many people have seen young artists copying others and recognizing like this isn't quite theirs this isn't quite it or a young musician covering a song it's not their song it's not that you can feel that something's missing in the performance in the creation there an artist must experience the deep energies in their life to really create art at the level that audiences will respond to but our modern life it's almost designed to take us away from and negate these deep energies. We've become less reflective and creative and we've become a lot more apt to consume. There's a lot of noise in this world and it's hard to escape. There's even a clip of Mr. Rogers speaking to this back in the early 90s. Here he is in Charlie Rose 25 or 30 years ago speaking to this. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. How do we do that? I mean, in our business, yours and mine, how do we encourage reflection? I trust that this book will do some of that, but Oh my, this is a noisy world. Our modern world encourages us to make us think that society itself is our only form of nourishment and protection, of power and refreshment. How does it do this? Well, most consistently and frequently through bombarding us with advertisements for products and services that make us feel like relief is just at the other end of spending our hard-earned dollars. Whether it's beer commercials, you know, grab that beer with your friends at the end of a long working day, or maybe cheap vacation options, fly here for only $49. It might be another car commercial where you see just some other car driving down an impossibly windy road that no one I know has ever actually seen before. Or it might be how those streaming platforms will autoplay the next video before you've even had a chance to consider whether or not you actually want to watch it. All this is designed to make us think that the answers to our problems are right here at the tips of our fingers and that relief can come instantaneously if we just hang on a little bit longer, if we just spend that extra dollar here, there, wherever they're pointing us. So why does this happen? Well, a society can be interested in an individual really only as a political or economic entity. 
And this is something I touched on a few episodes ago, but here's a quick refresher anyway. It's interested in how this person vote and how it adds to the economic well-being of the whole. Essentially, people are numbers to a society. But a culture offers so much more. A culture literally means to cultivate. Cultures care for their people as natural, spiritual beings. Not simply as workers or consumers. They recognize we are, we are humans, we are not numbers. Cultures will cultivate an awareness of those deep energies of life. Essentially all those things that really make us feel human. And that in itself will awaken that within individuals who will go on to produce art as a natural process. That's what happens when individuals grow up within a culture that sees them as humans. Society wants the individual to depend on it for everything. Food comes from supermarkets, not the earth. Medicine and healing comes from pills and surgeries, not from clean, healthy living, strong social connections, and ample body movement. Things are quote-unquote normal based on what we say is normal, not based on what ancient wisdom or sacred psychologies or what your own intuition says. All of this puts massive pressure on individuals to conform to society. Carl Jung has a really great quote for this too. He says, quote, In order to turn the individual into a function of the state, his dependence on anything but the state must be taken from him. End quote. Look, if I can speak candidly, I don't think that this is a deep state master plan being executed by some secret cabal of super powerful anyone's. I honestly don't think most people in leadership these days are intelligent enough to consciously pull this off. I think that this has been the case for so long that momentum has simply carried this way of being forward and now we're all locked in this way of existing without realizing what's happening or the damage it's doing. So what the hell do we do? I think it's our task and our responsibility to re-energize those deep energies of nature, spirit, and psyche into society. To cultivate a culture that cares for the well-being of people within it. That is the work of the artist. To open the eyes of their fellow man to the possibilities beyond what is. And to do that, the artist must, of course, focus first on transforming their own consciousness. They must transform their own relationships to spirit, psyche, to nature, and society. And in the process, they transform their relationship with themselves. So the way to do that is by establishing relationships of trust with each. This happens not through massive amounts of willpower or, or workshops or 10-step plans, but beginning by recognizing that we're not separate from any of them, but we are a part of them. So in the next few episodes, we're going to look at how do we do that. What's the current model of our relationship to nature, spirit, psyche, and society? And how do we transform our relationship to establish more trust? And what does that look like? 
And so I hope you join me on that journey as we go down that road and see how might you behave, how might you act differently, how might you think differently if this is the path that you want to go down. I'd love to hear your thoughts and reflections on this and anything else in the podcast. You can write me at info at thisnakedvoice.com. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at thisnakedvoice. I hope you have a great week. And be good to yourself.